welcome to this week's episode of Uncle Dad Talks. Uh, that song you just heard was called Games by a Bloom. And Mike, tell them where you can find that song. You can find that song at soundstripe.com. And at soundstripe.com, you can license any of that music and put it inside your music video, your your combat video, your gaming, game, gaming video. Yeah, uh, very relative to what we're talking about. It could be. Uh, maybe when you're playing an arcade game, if you know what an arcade is. Seen an arcade or two. Yeah, well, you're older, so you should have been in. You should have been born. In I mean, I've owned an arcade or two. Ah, there you go. There yeah. you go. Uh, yeah, and Mike, tell them how can they save ten percent off? There's a wonderful code you can use. Uncle Dad Talks ten at checkout. That's Uncle Dad Talks ten. That's right. You get ten percent off your first month subscription. So please support the show. Support them. If you're a content creator, I cannot recommend it enough. Uh, Mike, as we talked about in the past, Mike is a music. Um, or music. He is a rapper. Well, <laughs> and you know, you know how it goes. Getting your own beat for so cheap—that's totally worth it. It's it's definitely something of the times, and I fully support people utilizing such. I support them more when they use our code. So that's right. So please do. Yeah, Mike, how are you? I'm doing well. I uh, I'm I'm excited to talk about what we're going to talk about today. That's right. And what are we going to talk about today? I'll let you be the one to kind of drum up the excitement. Oh, well, that's very kind of you. I mean, wow. As the co-host, I get to announce that? It's basically becoming the mic show now. I'm slowly, slowly, I'm slowly infiltrating from the inside. <laughs> you think about it. You were just a guest at first. <laughs> and now you're a co-host. See what I've done? Baby Gabe didn't leave. Mike killed him. Yeah. I incepted him. Incepted. Out. I became him. <laughs> uh, I love you, Baby Gabe. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, so uh, last night I was able to watch what we're going to talk about, and it was a documentary on coin ops. Well, I think you're saying that wrong. <laughs> but this is technically not about coin ops, it's about one company. One company that was huge in the coin op industry. And when he says coin op, he means arcade. And now, for those who don't know what an arcade is, coin operated a gaming machine yes. where you would go into a place usually in a mall or maybe a strip mall or in the back of a pizzeria maybe pizza a pizzeria a pizzeria uh <laughs> or, I, or I a bar i definitely would when i was in high school would go to the round table and nice. play some of the games that they were responsible for making but yeah this was about the midway crew the midway ooh i like that the midway crew the midway crew oh man john tobias when you listen to this uh, we can make some patches for you if i can make some patches for you check out my website MikeHamptonArt.com. I make lots of custom patches. Yeah, so Mike is dead on. We are talking about a this documentary. Uh, before we get into that, we have to say a big thank you to Insert Coin themselves because they actually gave us permission uh, to talk about the movie and do a, I guess, a, what do you call this, a review, I guess? Yeah, I think, yeah, it's like uh, we got to see it before you did and we get to talk about it. Yes, yeah. So thank you so much, Insert Coin, for letting us be uh, a part of this and uh letting us see this movie at no cost and just to talk about it. We're very thankful for that. Yeah, so we were uh, lucky enough to watch Insert Coin, directed by Joshua Sui. Hopefully I'm saying that right. It's T-S-U-I. That'd be Sui, right? Sui. Sui. Uh, Joshua Sui uh, features pretty much tons of major people from the Midway era, Midway era or coin-op era of gaming. Now, for those who don't know Midway, Midway, I guarantee, is responsible for at least one game that either you have played you have either seen or you have heard. The one game that comes to my mind that I, I imagine that everybody's played or seen at least is Mortal Kombat. And then a close second would be NBA, NBA Jam. Jam. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. 
Now, before we get into the documentary and our thoughts and whatnot, I did just kind of want to have a little fun here and uh, talk to you about just arcades in general. You said you go to Roundtable and play one of their games. I'm assuming you're talking about NBA Jam? Uh, well, actually, it was Mortal Kombat. Oh, was it? Really? Yeah. Tell me about your experience with Mortal Kombat. Like, What's the memory of that? Yeah, so absolutely the fact that there was, and they talk about this a lot in the documentary, is there was all the blood, the fatalities, and that you had to know the moves. And just the fact that people would talk about it so much made you even want to play it, you know. And I would play it, and I sucked. I would always use Scorpion, and I'd always get my butt kicked playing it. But it was just, it, it was just like, just to get together to know that you're going to play it was almost more fun than playing it. Totally, totally. Um, and, and do you did you think when you when you played it, what made you want to play it was just because everybody talked about how gruesome it was? Uh, I think that was some of it. Also, a lot of it was just they were using the video. Like it was, it's interesting because. I didn't really know as as a teenager that that was that was video. I just right, right. I just played it, and it just looks so different than say Street Fighter. Right. And so what he's talking about is that if for those who don't know, the original Mortal Kombat's uh, one through three had digitized actors, and what you learn in the documentary is they Midway was very much a kind of gritty crew, right? And we'll talk more about the crew later, but they were very much like, hey, we're going to do whatever we can for a cost-effective reason. And they figured out a way to basically take pictures, images, and put them into a gaming format where you could play a, an actor. It's a game, but you're playing as an actor, a real person, right? There's no digital polygon, no no 16-bit sprite, nothing like that. It's just straight-up digital pictures put together. What I found fascinating about that is uh, when, you, when you're talking about like seeing that, it's like, I mean, obviously you are a little bit older than I am, but when I had saw it, I, I didn't experience it until um, Super Nintendo. Mm. So... I think uh, you got to probably experience arcades a little more. I, I experienced arcades, but I think you experienced arcades probably more in the real format. You know what I'm saying? Like you yeah. in the real deal style. It was. It was. It, we played it. And, and I remember when, and they showed the commercial where the kids were running through the street. Yeah, Mortal Kombat. And screaming Mortal Kombat. <clears throat> I remember knowing that it was coming to, and I also had Super Nintendo and the excitement that I would have it in my house because it almost felt like I was doing something bad when I would go play it with <laughs> bad kids after bad school, kids. you know, yeah, and yeah. it was so taboo to like, right. you know, find, find an arcade and go play it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and it's funny that you say that because um, they talk about that too, like um, the people who would hang out in arcades and how NBA Jam came to be. And so I guess, you know, we're jumping around, so let's just get into it. It basically all starts, and, and I don't want to give too much away, but I will. we're going to talk about sections of the The movie is broken down, basically, into 12 different sections. And uh, I don't know if you caught it or not, but each chapter is a credit being used. Yes. I thought that was kind of a little yeah. tu- uh, sweet touch. Yes. Yeah, so it starts off, basically, with the end of the 80s era of arcade machines. I think I never really thought about that, but that's true, right? Like, when the 80s kind of came to an end and we went to the 90s of arcade machines, it changes how we look at arcade machines right because at that point you, you know you were big on like defender asteroids you know these very like i don't want to say like weak but like just very family friendly yeah arcade games right family friendly and very minimal graphics similar to like the old atari systems um fantasy it, there was there wasn't like a lot of reality in the game no there wasn't there wasn't and um <clears throat> you know one of the big games that so before midway became midway they were um, they were Williams, and Williams were known for I think uh, pinball machines. I, I believe if I remember that correctly, you might you might be remembering. Okay, that, 
And for those who do know what I'm talking about, and if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but uh, Williams, you know, they did uh, Defender. And I don't, do you remember Defender at all? I remember Defender. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't believe what he said. Uh, Eugene, Jarvis, Eugene Jarvis is also a, a, a big part of Williams and a big part of Midway. Uh, Eugene Jarvis is probably one of the most influential game designers out there. If you don't know who he is, I'm not going to go into a, a thing about it, but just look him up. He's incredibly influential in the world of gaming. When he says that they made a hundred million dollars on Defender, I was like, "How? How did you make a hundred million dollars on that game in quarters?" In quarters, <laughs> that's a lot of laundry, dude. No, yeah. And it's it's just like when you think about that, it's like these these are they're making this kind of money in quarters. Yeah. And they didn't make it. Now, one thing I just got kind of confused on, and you tell me, I was confused on were they making their money solely on sales of the cabinet are they making their money on the quarter quarters as well it's a, well i think they make some on the sales of the cabinet but i think the, the the reason that it got to that number was because the the collection of the of the game players the quarters you know over the over all the different machines that have that are around the country so it's like they're um it's hard to, it's hard to like it's think about it. it's like it's like they, they call them operators i believe right mm. now those operators are basically like I don't want to say drug dealers, but they're the, they're the dealer, right? <laughs> and then they come and take their cut, and then they keep their cut, right? In right. some respects, is that how kind of? Yeah, I, I think it's you know it'd be like if you had a vending machine somewhere, it'd be the same thing. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah you know what? I guess that's I don't think about it like that. I don't think about it like a vending machine because I guess you're right. It is technically like a vending machine. Yeah. So at this point, they're they kind of figure out like okay, that and that era is coming to an end. What can we do to be different and unique and whatever, right? And. The game that comes up first, I was like, man. Now, I didn't get to play it in the arcade. Um, I played it kind of how you were telling me off mic. You played it um, <laughs> off mic. Uh, you, <laughs> yeah. uh, you were playing it um, at home, and that yeah. game is Narc. Yeah. Now, uh, Narc is a game where you essentially kill drug dealers, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I played it in the same vein you did. I, I rented it for NES. Um, and it was it was cool, but it wasn't great. But at that time, I think we really home home console gaming was not the same, in the arcades, right? The arcade was going to be the much more involved experience, whatever, right? Um, you did play the arcade back in the day, correct? Or no? I did. What is your just describe the arcade game really fast? Because if you don't know what Narc is, I cannot explain to you enough. You need to play it because it is something that that should exist now. <laughs> Narc. I was to say that when they opened up really like they're talking about narc that really pulled me in because i remember renting that game and it being so different than anything i played and then i remember playing it in on the actual coin op machine and that was so different from you <laughs> yeah. know the home game system just yeah. because you know yeah you you blow these people up and there's body parts flying body all parts over the ground everywhere. and you run people over with cars and there's like screaming and there's like dude you shoot they shoot syringes at you they shoot syringes at you and like there's blood and there's like prostitutes on the street. And it was, it was such a different experience. I think that's why it like, when I saw that it was what that, that they did that and that's where they were going. I was so excited because I remember playing that as a kid and almost being like, Whoa, this is way o over my head. <laughs> that's so funny. And uh, when, when you had played that, did you, did you catch like the, the action, the action movie feel, because that's what if you think about it, that's what it's trying to replicate, right? Is the action movies of the '80s, right? Like 
you know, you had sweet cars, you had explosions, you had really weird bad guys, you know, but it's also based in reality in some respects because obviously, you know, it's trying to tell you, I guess, drugs are bad. Right. Right. Um, and I found it interesting that when you really think about it, it's not only is it an anti-drug game, I don't think they intended it to be an anti-drug game. I just think they wanted to make a game where you could kill people based in reality and get away with it. And how do you get away with it? Well, you kill drug dealers because no one's going to be mad about that. Yeah, I, I think I remember reading the instruction book because remember when you would buy a game or rent a game? came with the book, yeah. They came with the book, tell you how to do the things, tell you about the game. And I remember the instruction book because I rented it from Blockbuster. It had a lot of uh, stuff about anti-drug. And so, like, and you were going to be fighting against drugs and drug dealers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as an, as an undercover cop or whatever. And you mean an arc? As an arc. And so... <laughs> Um, I remember, I remember that very boldly about renting the game and playing it. Yeah. yeah. Did, remind me, was there Dare in it? You remember Dare? Yeah, I was trying to remember if Dare was like it probably was in the booklet. I mean, I couldn't. I can't remember, but yeah. I want to say they probably were. Right? Probably, but but playing it in the arcade, you didn't feel none of that. It no. was just like <laughs> it was just, you're shooting yeah, yeah, shoot. and these guys and, falling uh, apart. Do you remember what the arcade machine looked like? Because it looked different than most arcade machines. I don't know if you remember that or not, but it had like a weird slant in, in the middle of it. Uh, if you look at a Google uh, NARC arcade machine, it's a very different looking arcade machine. It doesn't look like normal. Yeah, they were always trying to do something a little bit different. Sure. I think with their with their sure the sure. They when they did it though, what I found intriguing was how they made the process. Because essentially, this game sets the foundation for everything Midway, right? Yeah. And the way they do it is just fascinating, right? Like they went to, what did he say? They went to like Target or something like that or some sort of like store and they bought a digital camera, like just some whatever basic digital camera. And they just took it there and they just took pictures and they took video of these actors and they just took the, they, they found a way to take them and use the algorithm to, to essentially, right? Am I understanding that right? Well, yeah, I remember him showing that they used one of those old VHS. That's what it was. I'm sorry. Yes, that's that what it was. Would, it like, was the VHS shoulder. Yeah, I couldn't remember. I was like, "What am I thinking?" Yeah, no, it was like those big ones where you put an actual VHS tape, tape. <laughs> into the machine and then record that, and then you could actually just take that out and pop it into a VCR. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have one? I did have one. Nice. Yeah, I think <laughs> we shot an indie horror movie with one of those. Really? Does it, does it still exist? It exists. Can we? Maybe watch it one day? Maybe one day. Okay. If, lucky. if I'm lucky, okay. I it's hope so. It's called The Killer Spoke, but another episode, another time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But, you know, it's funny because I remember playing the game, and I, it, to me, it looked different, but I didn't know why it looked so different. Like, I didn't, my mind didn't understand that they were video recordings that people put into a game. I just knew it looked more real. Right. And it felt more intense because it looked real. Right, right. No, <clears throat> totally. And uh, I found it interesting that you learned that some of the bad guys are just members of the team. I forgot his name, but it was Mark something. And I apologize, Mark. Uh, but uh, he was the big, the main bad guy with the big bulbous head. Yeah. Yeah, and he's like, you know, forever in my life, I'm going to have that. Yeah, <laughs> and that'll be me. big head rolling around. Yeah, yeah, with his tongue out and just like, yeah. <laughs> but that kind of brings up to the, to the point of how, what they were doing. It's like they were making games. I just think that they wanted to make i guess right like it was just the way to like hey we're gonna make something different but at the same time the guy who ran the show his name was neil uh, i forgot his name too but neil something 
We should have wrote these names down. I haven't written down actually. I'm just not very good at finding everything. Yeah. But go ahead, sir. But, but there's just all these all these different ways in which they came together to make the game. You just as a, as a player, I, I you just don't know that, especially as a kid player. Right? Oh, totally, totally. Yeah. And and it, they were very much a ragtag group of people, right? They were very much like rebels in the gaming world, right? They weren't Nintendo. They weren't making kid friendly stuff. They weren't making you know Sonic or anything like they that. They weren't doing uh what, licensed. Well, things. at that time they weren't, right? right. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that didn't happen until they became Midway. Right. And we'll get to that a little later on. Cause a we still later. Got, yeah, we still got to talk about uh, pretty much NARC. What I found interesting about NARC was that the treadmill thing was interesting to me. How they used the treadmill, they took yeah. the top off, and they were recording the person walking right. on the treadmill. I was like, dude, I never would have thought that. I never would have thought the reason why they looked that way is because they're walking on a treadmill and they do that for Mortal Kombat. They, I mean, again, without NARC, there is no Mortal Kombat, basically, if you think about it. There's no NBA Jam. There's no nothing because this is the foundation of how they create their games. Right. And I find that fascinating. And it's also what got them so popular to where they could do these other games that come along because it was on the news as being so violent and there was all this blood and it was just such a different thing. Yes, yeah. It, it was kind of groundbreaking. Yeah, so the camera they used actually, uh, I actually wrote it down, is a RCA camera. They would basically take that, and the idea was that they wanted to create a, sur- a surrealistic nightmare. And if you think about it, it was a surrealistic nightmare. Nightmare uh, Narc is kind of scary when you really think about it, when you watch it, if you have no context. It is a kind of a scary thought. Well, especially when the bosses come out. Oh, and yeah. And they're like these huge, larger-than-life, evil-looking characters on these, or I'm sorry, maybe that was Smash TV, but they they were like rolling around on these tanks. They, there is one like that. There is one like that in Narc, but it's, yeah. but in Smash TV, which we'll get to now. Smash TV, the, the the main one of the main bosses at the end is right. the host. He becomes a tank monster guy. And it was a similar thing in Narc, yeah. So it it just it is. It's kind of like a bad a nightmare. A, dr- a bad drug nightmare. Yeah, a very yeah. bad drug nightmare. Yeah. Uh, but hey, if you were, but I don't know if that would stop you from doing drugs though, because now you're going to be like, oh man, maybe I, maybe I should try these. Yeah, I want to see that kind of thing rolling. I want to throw me. syringes at people and they just fly. Sounds like a mutant power. I know, right? Yeah. So then that leads us into what comes next, and what comes next is Smash TV. Now, Smash TV was designed by Mark Termel. And uh, I loved how they introduced like the designers because they make them almost like rock stars, right? Like the way they describe Mark Turmel is like this guy, he was just like the G, right? He's just going to come over here. He's going to make something crazy. And he yeah. did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, in a sense, these guys are, if you're a huge gamer, these guys are rock stars. Sure. I mean, yeah. They even refer to them as some of them as gods, right? They're just, they come in, they have yeah. an idea and it's solid. And then you yeah. have a hit game. It's like making a hit record. Yeah. yeah same thing. Totally, totally. Yeah. And uh, with Mark Termel, he took the idea of the dual joystick eye concept. Like, I don't know if you ever played Robotron. Did you ever play Robotron back in the day? I did not. So Robotron had these two uh, dual joysticks that you would play. And one was for movement and the other is for direction of where you would fire. So he wanted to take that idea, bring it back and make it relevant, right? Uh, but at the time, one of the biggest one of the biggest movies was Running Man and like game shows were big, right? And for those who don't know Running Man, first off, shout out, because that's one of my favorite damn 80 movies of all time. Or no, that's a 90s movie, right? That was a 90s movie. Sure. <laughs> Did you watch that movie real quick? I've seen it, yeah. Awesome movie. I mean, it's been years, but yeah, for sure. One of my favorite lines is when Arnold Schwarzenegger kills the hockey player, and he says, looks like you need to chill out. 
That's one thing that new movies don't have is those is those one lines. late 80s, early 90s action movies all have those like, you know, if you're going to hit a guy with a surfboard, you better say surf's up. <laughs> yeah, right? right. Right. And that isn't like you're right. That doesn't exist anymore. You're totally right. And I stole that from The Last Boy Scout, just so you know. Oh, okay. That wasn't me. Okay, okay. Just in case anyone catch that catch that i think i know a couple people who would catch that too so yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah so they create this idea of smash tv now smash tv was a game that used a dual joystick idea and you were a player trying to basically win millions and you were trying to make it to the pleasure dome which we'll talk about which not to kind of fast forward too much but the pleasure dome did you find that interesting when they yeah, yeah. well we'll get to that in a second but that's the idea of where you're trying to go. But in order to do that, you have to survive these waves of enemies. Now, tell me, have you played that before? I don't think I ever played Smash TV. Never? I, I remember seeing it and feeling like it was too much for me. <laughs> but Narc wasn't? <laughs> but Narc was fine, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I did play Smash TV as a kid. I played it on the, again, the home console. And it wasn't until I was older that I got to play it in the arcade. And obviously the arcade was just way better. But it was a fun game because it was just like, I don't know, it was just mindless. You just ran around, you kill things, and that was it. You know, you just kind of, you shot, you you wanted to make it to this this pleasure dome, you know, which we find out. I, I don't know if we should, should we say or? Maybe we shouldn't say. Okay. But, but I'll, I'll tell you this, you're in for a treat when you find out. Yeah. And the person who found that out was? Ernest Klein. And Ernest Klein is the gentleman who wrote Ready Player One and Ready Player Two, ah, which just came out. Good man, good man, good man. Uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah, Mike, I think Mike's right. We're not going to spoil that surprise, but you should definitely check it out because it's very interesting. Because when I found out, I was like, okay. <laughs> well, and 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 the fact that they had Ernest Klein talking about it made so much sense because if you've ever seen or read Ready Player One, yeah, he's all about getting to this these certain levels and yes. And so the fact that he, they had him talk about that, I felt was great on the director's good part. Good catch yeah. on that. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, I'm impressed with that. that See, uh, oh, I got my moments. Yeah, no, I mean, that's why it's the Mike show. Yeah, that's why it's becoming the, the Mike show. <laughs> yeah, so Smash TV, um, I like the idea that they made something relevant to the time, but also kind of like in their own version of it. Do you think a game like Smash TV with the same feeling could exist now? That's a good question. I mean... To me, I, I saw it, and I think it could if it was centered more around um, like a social media type thing, you know, or like a like a TikTok or some, you know, if they incorporated that, like the like the apps kind of thing, as opposed to as opposed to television. Sure, like ah. Smash app or something, you know, where you get on these apps and you have to do all these things to make these achievements or whatever, and then you get a prize. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Like a, just a more modern version of it. Yeah. Do you think though you could, if you made a game like that now, would it have to be a social commentary of any kind? Probably. I think so. I think that everything almost has to these days. Yeah. It seems like it, right? Like you just yeah. can't make a game and make a game anymore. I mean, I guess you can, but it needs to be more, there needs to be a point to it, I guess. Right. Or like a. What is the impact of this game? I don't know. Maybe, or if there's a negative impact, that's going to get magnified. Sure, right. You know, really, really intense. So then, as, as uh, what I really also enjoyed about during this time period, you, you get to meet John Tobias. Now, John Tobias, for those who know, is the co-creator of Mortal Kombat. Him and Ed Boon went on to make that game. And 
I really enjoyed John Tobias in, in this mo- in this documentary because he spoke very just he spoke very matter of fact and he wasn't afraid to kind of shy away from anything. At least that's how I took it. I loved how he said that it's either he goes to Cal Arts or he draws comic books. I love that too. Yeah, <laughs> and, it, and I thought that was great because it almost felt like a comic book company in some respects, right? Like they were just like we're doing this thing and we'll see how it goes. And you know what I mean? Yeah, it did have a very similar similar vibe to like a bunch of guys just either making making their own music, making their own comics, uh, skateboarding. It's just like a bunch of dudes yeah. hanging out, doing what they love together and putting out cool stuff. Right, t- totally, totally. And they weren't afraid to take chances, but at the same time, I think that it did kind of come out of cost, right? Because it did seem like it did seem like they were cutting a lot of corners, right? Like they, the warehouse was like, remember they said that it was like this weird gritty there was there was just like ceilings dripping water all the time rats, like, were, there. rats were in there yeah. yeah but but i don't know maybe that's grit that you need to make a good product i don't i mean you know there's a reason that uh kevin eastman and laird called their studio mirage studios when they made ninja turtles because it was a mirage that it was a studio <laughs> it was just the right. two of them in their apartment so right it, you know it it's uh Behind the scenes, you know, when you look behind the curtain, there's always probably a little bit of grime back there for people when they're starting out. Oh, totally, totally. But the thing was, they were out. They had been out for a while. I mean, it was Williams. Williams was making games, you know, back in the day, and mm-hmm. it's like they could. But it, maybe that's what kind of kept them on their toes, right? That grittiness, that sure. that sense of like, well, we're gonna cut this, and and we'll get to it later on. But the I found the pay scale thing very interesting. I don't know right. if you remember that conversation. Where they talk about how the people were paid there, that was interesting to me. I don't remember. Why don't you explain to our listeners <laughs> and myself? <laughs> yeah, so they talked about basically, let's say you had a team and your team was working on whatever that he gave you permission to work on, right? You would only make money depending on if your product did well enough, if that made sense, mm-hmm. or if it was, you know what I mean? So like, how hard did you work? How hard did you do that? That kind of thing, right? Yeah. And it was always putting basically teams against each other. Because it's like, well, we're going to outdo you on this one. We're going to outdo you on that one. And it almost created like a toxic environment, it seemed like. That's what, I mean, that's kind of what I gathered, especially through the end. Because at the end of it, they were making clones of themselves, remember? Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if that's a healthy work environment. But I mean, I guess I'm not one to judge on that. I think I've, it's similar into into making comics with a bunch of guys um, that kind of all under one label. You want to make... Dad. You want to make... Well, yes, Uncle Dad, but even before uh, Uncle Dad, years ago, you know, and I was doing comics with four other dudes, and we'd all share one table, it's like, yeah, we're all friendly while working for the same umbrella here, but we're all out trying to outdo each other's books. Right, right, right. You know, we talk about that, I think, on one of our past episodes, right? Yeah. And it's, I guess it is kind of like that, right? Right. But the difference is, is that you're working for yourself, where these guys are working for somebody. Right. And I think that might be a little bit tougher, right? Because it's like, well, it's like Daddy Love Me kind of thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Yeah, and also like, you know, if if I keep coming up with a new hot thing, then I'm gonna be the next promotion or I'm gonna be Right you know, next yeah, yeah. in line for exactly, exactly. Um uh, to kinda of quickly go back to uh Smash T V though, another thought that they brought up that I never thought of about was that Smash T V kinda of invented not maybe not invented directly, but the idea of the microtransaction was arcade machines. Mm-hmm. Do you remember when I talked about that? No. So in app games, you know, on your phone, there's microtransactions, right? It's like, oh, if you want this, you need to pay a dollar, right, or whatever. But on an arcade machine, it's like that. It's like, okay, well, if you want to continue, if you want to see that 
that ending. You want to see whatever that piece is. You got to put that quarter in. Right. You know? Yeah. It was interesting that, you know, when, when you're, when you're a kid playing these games and you die, you just think, Oh, I just died. But really it's programmed to let you play for a certain amount of time. Right. So then you have to continue paying. Right, right, right. right. And I loved how they talked about that, about the idea of the, the villain. That's why there was the bosses, right? Because, you know, you wouldn't be so bothered that this badass character came in, killed you. Right. Uh, versus this little guy, this normal guy that kills you. Right. It's all It's all just, it's all, it's, even though, yes, it's a format of art, it is to get money. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all yeah. about getting money. And uh, I, I did like, and it's also kind of funny too, when you think about it, because Smash TV is about getting money. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, if you, at least if you make it to the boss, at least you can say you made it to the boss. Right. And, and if he killed you, he probably kills a lot of people. So sure. Sure. The boss. Ex- exactly. Exactly. And the game technically doesn't end. You know, you just keep going uh, unless you're Ernest Klein and you find out something very special. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. Smash TV was a, was a good, uh, was a good look to that. I was, uh, it was interesting because then shortly after that, uh, the big thing happens. Uh, Williams, um, talks about how their their arch nemesis, if you will, was uh, Bally's Midway. And Bally's Midway, they did a lot of licensing for like Galaga and stuff like that, Pac-Man. You know, and they, they made machines for these major games, right? Um, but then the big the big thing happens, and Williams buys Midway. What do you what did what was your thought about that when you found that out? Did you care really, or were you just more like, oh wow, that's interesting? It was interesting, and what I thought was more interesting was that after they bought Midway, they then turned Williams into Midway. into Midway. And when you say that, didn't you love their goodbye picture? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if there's going to be a goodbye picture. Because nobody wanted that. It seemed like nobody wanted to become Midway, right? Right. It was like, fuck those guys. You should definitely check out the movie to see what they're doing in the goodbye photo. Yeah, it's funny. Yes. <laughs> But good, but good for them though, right? Like good for them to be like, yeah, you know. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah. So they changed the midway, and when they changed the midway, they paid. I think it was like a million dollars, or it was four million dollars. They paid four million dollars, and I forgot his name, but one of the gentlemen who made a game for them right away was called Arch Rivals. Arch Rivals was a basketball game way before NBA Jam, but it was a uh, like a, a sprite-based uh, basketball game. It wasn't a um, like a digitized character. But that made $4 million right away. So they joke around because they go, well, basically, we got the merger for free. Right. Because we took one of their developers, their games, and we made that money right away. And then we bought the money. Yeah, basically. pretty much. Right, yeah. right. Which, let's be honest, I, not that many companies probably can say that, I'd imagine. No, I mean, it, it looks, uh, from the outside, it looked like some collusion was going on there. But it, it, <laughs> yeah. I, and who knows? But yeah, it was a very interesting story. And and I remember playing Arch Rivals. And, See, I never played Arch Rivals. Oh, yeah. So tell me about that really fast. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it was super fun to play it with a couple buddies. You yeah. know, you're just, you're, you're, for those who don't know, Arch Rivals is a basketball game. And, but it's like, if there were no fouls in the basketball game. So if you wanted to take the ball from the other player, you just punch him and then take the ball and then go. So you could fight in that game. Score, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but it wasn't like uh, it like combat hockey fighting. fighting. Yeah, 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 it was just like punch, punch. I believe you could kick, and then you get the ball, and then really? you go back <laughs> your way. Did you play that in the arcades, though? Uh, I played both, yeah. Uh, uh, on, it was uh, on home console, too. I didn't know was, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. 
And then we get into the world of Midway. So let's talk about that. But before we talk about that, let's take a break. Yeah. We'll be right back. Looking for some holiday gifts and want to buy local? Go to MikeHamptonArt.com and buy something for myself. And this month only, save 10% by using Uncle Dad Talks 10 at checkout. That's Uncle Dad Talks 10 and save 10% at MikeHamptonArt.com. All right. Uh, yeah, so let's talk about Williams becoming Midway. So now they're Midway. And what I found interesting about this is that they, they made the money, they did that, and what's their first big thing they do? They start doing licensing. Now, Robert Sharp was in charge of their licensing, and for those who don't know, licensing just refers to taking a an existing property and then taking it to be theirs, and they license it to sell a property, to sell like a, a version of that property in different formats. So, for example, we're going to talk about Terminator 2. So they, for those who have not played it, Terminator 2 had an arcade shooter where you had the gun and they, 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 you shot down a bunch of different robots and a bunch of great stuff like that. That was one of their first big licensing deals. Now, the Terminator 2 licensing thing I really want to talk about with you because I found that incredibly fascinating. Oh, yeah. It was a great part of the movie, yeah. Great part of the movie because there was things – because I played the game a lot as a kid uh, at the arcades. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you played it. Did you play it? At the arcades for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there was things I found now. I, I mean, like, you could still find it at arcades, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Coin-Op and yeah. different arcades. You can't. You yeah. can't. Actually, Coin-Op, you can't because they closed. Oh, well. So rest in, pe- rest in peace. COVID? Yeah. Fucking COVID. You didn't hear about that? No. I'm yeah, Coin-Op on San Francisco closed uh, permanently. All of them closed or just, just that just one? Just the one in uh, SF. I'm sure Sacramento's struggling. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, yes. Anyways, definitely remember playing a T2 throughout my life because it was such an awesome game. Now, what I found fascinating was I didn't real I didn't know that they filmed it the same time. Wasn't that crazy when yeah. they were when they were filming Terminator 2? Yeah. So please talk to me about that. Yeah, I think they even said it was the first time that they filmed anything for a game while they were filming the movie. And the guys didn't even know that they were making a Terminator 2 until they got the call. And it was right. like, hey, would you like to make Terminator 2? And his response was, there's going to be a Terminator 2? <laughs> I know, I know. Like, wow, talk about like non-disclosure. That's I know, right. <laughs> pretty know. cool. It was so crazy to see that. But what I thought was interesting, how they said that um, they, didn't have ac- they had access to everybody except one person. Well... Yeah, I mean, I I think I think we should let people watch the movie. Okay. Because that was very fascinating to me when they then they showed like who the act the actors yeah. and and how those actors were used in the game and you know to watch the movie because yeah. that's one of the most fun parts. I think. Yeah, yeah, because and I agree with you on that. And there Go was ahead. that very very cool tidbit I didn't even know about Linda Hamilton. Yeah, dude. I didn't know that either. And when he talks about that, uh, yeah, and again, we'll keep that as a little surprise for you. Please check out the movie. Yeah, because it's um, and really, you know, this isn't this is this is not an advertisement for the movie. It's just that we wanted to talk about it. They gave us the permission to talk about it. They gave us the opportunity to talk about it. And you know, Mike can tell you, and I think it's the best way to describe it. He had really no interest in watching it, but he watched it and he was like, "Wow, this is pretty fascinating." Uh, would you agree with my statement? Yes. I mean, I generally have this weird thing where when someone sends me something to watch, whether it be on Facebook or Instagram or, hey, check out this link to this thing on YouTube or whatever, I usually don't want to watch it. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just a thing. So in this case, I was like, all right. But then when I started watching it, it just got better and better. And I was totally wrapped into it because 
it's so fascinating all the stuff that you would have no idea and this was like my childhood and, and my teenage years and oh totally yeah yeah and it, it's just kind of cool learning about that now i mean it also makes you respect it differently right totally because it's like when i learned everything about terminator 2 i was like wow that's so interesting and it did so well. I didn't realize, but I guess you're right. Like you said, you can still play it in, in arcades now, at bars now. And I, I guess you didn't really think about like how successful that game really was, right? Yeah. Um, so no, that was a super good point. And um, what I really enjoyed about the T2 was, um, I shouldn't say I enjoyed, but the conversation I really liked, and I think we should talk about this because it's very relevant now, is how they talked about the police brutality. I was I wrote this down as a note to talk about. Please. As well. So I'll let you take the lead on that. Okay. Well. <laughs> Yeah, they they one of the gentlemen. I don't know if you took note of who he was that got interviewed, but yeah, I have his name, but I can't find it. He he was being interviewed about the game, and it was about the success of the game. And then the interviewer, the person who it was for some magazine, I believe it was for a TV. It was a TV talk show called Entertainment Weekly. Oh, it was Entertainment Weekly. It was Entertainment Weekly, which is also a magazine. Am I am I right? I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, maybe that's Entertainment Magazine. What I'm trying to get at actually is that. She was interviewing one of the guys who worked on the game about how successful it was and about all these things. Oh, great and things. then and then all of a sudden she throws in this curveball question of Well, what do you think why you think it's okay for you to be shooting cops in the game? And I felt his response was great because it was like, Well, if you watch the movie, Arnold Schwarzenegger's he doesn't kill any of the cops, he shoots them down. In the, the knees, knee, yeah. in the knee, to, to disable them, and that's exactly what happens in the game. But what came to my mind was, how come there's all these movies where cops are getting shot, and that's fine, but when it comes to the video game, that's where there's a problem. And I felt like video games and arcade games always took, took the brunt of that statement that the video games are violent, video games are violent, video games are, are, are violent for the kids, but... What about all the movies? Sure. And I think we could, we'll touch on that more later with Mortal Kombat because right. they talk about that way more. But to kind of touch on what you're saying with that, I think it's interesting because she says that statement, right? She says whatever. And he gets kind of offended by it. As but, he should. As he should. But to be fair, wouldn't you agree that back in the day as a kid, maybe you didn't think about it like that. Maybe you thought about it like you were killing cops. I just thought they were the bad guys. But are they? Sometimes, right? I mean, let's be fair. Not all the time, sometimes. But also, I, I the just... The context of the movie that we're talking. Yeah, and well, and I just think about, like, movies in general. Cops are getting shot all the time in the movies. A lot of times, they're, get, they like, they're, they're so dumb and, like, they, they, you know, they crash the cars and they, they just get shot like they're nothing. No, I... You know, it's a tricky thing because in the movie... The cops aren't killed. In the game, the cops aren't killed. But it's the fact that you're shooting a cop and it's an easy target to put that on sure. on the, the game. Like, oh, do you think this is okay to promote this? Sure, sure. It's interesting, too, because could you imagine we have that conversation now? That would just be a whole different conversation, right? Right. And a much more intense and involved conversation, right? It's like... Well, I wonder if she would have asked, if she interviewed James Cameron about, do you think that it's okay to shoot cops in your movie? You know, she probably wouldn't. Sure. But the thing is, this guy isn't the same caliber as James Cameron, right? Well, maybe in the video game world he is. Sure, right. Well, right, but overall, James Cameron's James Cameron, right? Yeah. So, I don't know. It's it's an interesting thing, and I thought that was, the whole thing to me was very interesting, because uh, when, that, when that came up, I was like, oh, wow. Because the tone of the documentary just changes right there, really yeah. quickly. 
Well, again, it's it's just like you know, you get uh, you're interviewing someone and they throw they they lead you into this like doorway and then they all of a sudden they blast you with a question and they catch you off guard. Yeah. When when you know it's almost like they had a mask on and they take it off and they're like. Whoa. Totally. I really want to get you on so I can get this burning question out of What you. I really liked is how he said, he goes, I need you to understand the inflection of my, my tone right now, right? When he says that, it's yeah. like, this is not, you know what I mean? Like, And I think that's great because he knew how he had to handle that because that would have just, it, the way he would have answered that could have changed the whole entire world of Midway, right? Sure, yeah. It was almost like the future of Midway is in the, how he answers this one that tricky one question. question. Exactly, exactly. And yeah. it's like how, but the thing is like, it was just such a bullshit, not bullshit, but it was such a question out of nowhere. That's the thing, right? Well, then I think that it's like the old bait and switch. Like you, you totally. pull them in to, to get comfortable and then all of a sudden you flip this question on them and catch them off guard. I mean, it's cops do it to people when they're interrogating. Yeah, yeah. No. You know? You are, so. you are dead on. I think, uh, yeah, that was such an interesting moment. And again, watch the documentary because we, the, we can't convey the power of that that scene the most because that that power of that scene is so interesting because the tone changes the inflection changes everything about everything of that documentary just changes for that moment and i liked how he said that and that was the very first time they realized that somebody could take their art in a negative impact or a negative way yeah right but it's fascinating because then it goes back to narc right right but it's okay that we kill a bunch of drug dealers right. why because they're drug dealers. Because they're drug dealers, right? It, it, you know what I mean. But is is that we should have no man should die like in narc? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I mean, and then and then to be fair, none of the cops died in Terminator Two. They just got shot in the knee, and then you you even see the screen play of it that they fall to the ground and they just kind of disappear. Right, right. But maybe that's death. Yeah. But you know what that was? Programming. That's what that was. Programming. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the body just can't stay there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. These, these aren't no PS5s. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, so then as that goes on, they realize, you know, it's the 90s. It's time to do something with 3D texture mapping. Now, for those who don't know, 3D texture mapping would be kind of like a 3D-based game. But before we get into too much of the future, this then brings up probably one of the biggest games of all time, Mortal Kombat. Ed Boone and John Tobias come together and they make this game. But a, what I found fascinating, and I have to talk about it, is that Mortal Kombat wasn't going to, that game was supposed to be a filler game. Right. He says that they needed something to kind of fill in the six month gap. So they were working with, uh, do you want to say who it was? Or should we wait? You should wait. Okay. So they were working with a major actor at the time. He was a major actor at the time, right? Yeah. Yeah. He was a major action star at the time. Right. One of two of his kind. Two? Right? Wasn't there the other oh, guy? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah, got yeah. one of the two? Yes. Yeah. Uh, but it just didn't work out. And so they ended up they ended up making Mortal Kombat. And so when they first did it, the first character they recorded was Johnny Cage, mm-hmm. which is even funnier when you think about who the original the original uh, person the game was based on right i don't know if you thought that but i was I like, did. oh yeah i <laughs> thought there was definitely a parallel there. yeah totally right yeah um so johnny cage is the first one and they film it they they put it together and the the ceo at the time plays it and he was like okay this isn't a six-month title or this isn't a fill title go ahead and make this game and they make it and watching how they create this game and how they go into the detail of each of the movements, the the way they walk, it was so surreal to me, because it was like that's a game from my childhood for sure. I played that game a lot with my dad. I played that game a lot with friends. Like I'm sure you know, like that was just, it was just so crazy to see how what it took 
to make this monumental game changing video game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, I, I played it as a teenager. Didn't even realize why it was so different because it just looked so different. But it was because they were filming people and putting that into the game. To- totally, and it, it, they took, but they even almost like perfected that a little better. I felt right because obviously Narc was the beginning, right? And by right. MK, you could feel that they were they were really kind of nailing it. You know what I mean? That they're really kind of like, okay, this is how we do it. Uh, but what I found interesting too was uh, that Ed Boon and John Tobias kind of felt that they were just becoming a Mortal Kombat machine. You know, like I'm just stamping the Mortal Kombat games, and I guess I can I can understand that because you know, as an artist, did you did that hit home with you at all, or did that hit anything with you? Yeah, I mean, I I felt like that. I, if the listeners listen to the older episodes, when I was doing my zombie comic, Hot Zombie Chicks, at some point I start to felt like I was just a zombie comic machine, and I just kept crank, cranking out zombie comics. So yes, I totally understood that. It's like, all right. And we're doing another one. Yeah. And we know it needs to have this, then we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this. Right. And you figure, Ed Boon probably figured out more or less how it needed to be, right? Just, okay, record this person, do yeah. that. You know what I mean? Because the lore really didn't matter back then, right? Like the, the storyline doesn't matter back then. No. It's more of just kind of going into that and whatnot. Yeah. What I found interesting too, also at this time, what I forgot to mention is Eugene Jarvis, um, what we mentioned in the beginning, was a very big part of the the Williams family left to go do his own thing. Well, he comes back at this time, and you'll learn more about that in the documentary. Uh, but what I loved about Eugene Jarvis, and this is pretty funny to me, they go, uh, Eugene Jarvis right here, this is God, or what else should we call you? And he said, you can call me fuckface. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's pretty good. I like that. Uh, but yeah, Mortal Kombat. Um, I, I, I don't know. I just it was, it was interesting to see the original conception. Yeah, I, it was so fascinating because it played that game so much. And, like, you get to see the actors, like you said, walking on a treadmill or when they're doing the kicks. The fatalities. The, the fatalities even with Sonya when she does the – she didn't even want to do the yeah, fatalities. Yeah, I know. I thought that and, was interesting. It's like, why? And that's how her <laughs> the little kiss, thing. kiss fatality uh, yeah, came yeah. to be. Or, like, when they asked Johnny Cage if he could suspend himself, kind of float in air so they could get his kick to not look like a blur. Yes. And he's like, what? excuse me <laughs> oh you want me to float in the air you know, <laughs> yeah it, you're right and how they actually did it you, you should watch the movie it was it was pretty neat to see yeah i didn't i didn't realize and i don't know when they said how many units they sold it doesn't sound like a lot to me but i guess when i think about it it probably is a lot they sold twenty seven thousand units yeah does that sound like a lot to you i don't i don't know no i don't know i, I like like i i thought i thought there was just a million s- of them ever you know just being not knowing about this industry, I always just assume that there were a hundred thousand of these things everywhere. And there's really not that many when you think about it. Like there's, yeah, sure, there's in the thousands, but there's not in the millions. Right. And that's that's interesting to me. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you, I just, you know, I, I think as a kid, there's a teenager going to see those game, you know, arcade machines. It's like they're larger than life. They're just, it's it's um, it's like magic how they even make this. I would just assume that there's there's. A hundred thousand things everywhere, and they get made in a huge factory, right. and it's just this big production. But it's actually much, much, much more intimate than much that. Much more intimate. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly the word I was going to use. Oh, Very yeah. good. Yeah, of course. That's why I'm here. I, I got you. <laughs> so now that brings us up to the next part, and that next part is probably I feel like you like this game more. It's oh, motherfucking. I love this game. NBA Jam. Yeah, I loved NBA Jam. <laughs> Let's before we get into like talking about that, tell me your memories of NBA Jam. 
Oh man, I just <laughs> wait. Who'd you play? Kings. I would usually be the Kings. Yeah. Who was the players at that time? Uh, Mitch Richmond. Baby. Sp- Spud Webb. No, this is before Baby. Damn. This was Mitch Richmond, Spud Webb. Uh, I think Lionel Simmons. Most people don't even know who the hell that <laughs> is. They called him the L Train out in Sac. L Train. It was very sad when they traded him. And maybe one other guy I can't remember. But yeah, I usually played with the Kings. Nice. Yeah, and then the oh, and the Bulls, but the Bulls didn't have Jordan. They, they, I thought they did. I don't remember them having Jordan. I know they had Pippen. They definitely had Pippen. They had Rodman. I mean, there were definitely different versions of NBA Jam, but I remember. We're talking about the first one. I don't remember them having Michael Jordan. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised because he probably was crazy expensive. Yeah. Back then, at least. Yeah. Well, even how they, but yeah, there was so much fascinating stuff about how they made NBA Jam, Uh, and then, you know, I would play it with friends, play it with random people in the arcade. I, I would rent it, play it at home. I gotta talk about the when they when they when they talk about NBA Jam and they bring it up, they do the test market, right? I feel like you could probably feel this. When they said that they put it out there, they were just watching to see the crowd play. The crowd plays, the guy does a slam dunk and he kills it, right? right? And he just runs around the whole entire arcade just like, you see that? Oh, yeah. yeah. That feeling must have been unrivaled because you know what? I, I remember seeing that back in the day of like arcade machines, people playing NBA Jam. Could you relate to that feeling? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, you get dunked on, you do this thing, and like, the crowd around with the ooh, oh, all that stuff. Yeah, and then boom, you know, boom with the guy, the <laughs> announcer, and then when you're on fire, and it's the, the the net burns. It's just so intense. You break the backboard and just like you break the backboard. You yeah. break the backboard. You were the coolest kid when you did that. You were just like, oh hell yeah. I definitely never broke the backboard. You never broke the backboard. No. Isn't no. that cool, man? <laughs> Not cool. I think you're cool, Mike. Yeah, the whole honestly. The the NBA Jam thing goes into so much detail, and I don't, I, I really don't want to give too much of that away because it was so, it was so fucking fascinating. Like I know we say that that's the that's the word of the show, fascinating, because it was fascinating. But what I thought was really interesting is that the NBA didn't want to do it at first. Yeah. And why did they want to do it? Do you remember? Yeah, it was something about well, they, arcades look like in New York. In New York, where just like this, in slums. Yeah, and I didn't, but now I didn't know that. Now, did you ever go to New York back in those days? Or no. no? I know you were from. Well, we, I know I didn't go there, but I, 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 yeah, I just thought like, wow, the NBA is going to base their whole thing <laughs> like on their whole what thing. the New York's, what right. the New York arcades are like, really. Total, total, which was weird, but I did like the. I forgot his name too. Like, I think it was Roger Sharp. How he said he goes, look, if the NBA doesn't want to do it, they're not going to care. It's like you know what I mean. They're going to make their money. They're yeah. gonna, you know what I mean. Like, right. They don't care that we. You know what I mean. Like, okay. But I think it just it just helped the NBA get that much bigger. Oh, dude. You know, because yeah. it, it let anybody like the NBA. Right. It let anybody, even if you didn't even like sports games, you could play this game. Right. right? You could yeah. play this game and just have a fucking grand old time. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I thought it was. Uh, yeah, and then in the, in the some of the test games they had. Uh, Secret characters. Yes, right? uh, one of the one of, one of them was like the member with the fedora. Yeah, and one of every- <laughs> the guys on that was working on the game. Yeah, right? yeah, had a fedora, and like everybody loved picking that guy. <laughs> and then people people wanted to pee him just because he looked different. And yeah, then yeah. they had some of the Mortal Kombat guys in there, which was fucking crazy too, because they didn't want to release it with the Mortal Kombat characters because of the negative connotations around Mortal Kombat with all the violence. Yes, and yes, and I guess we did kind of skip on that a little bit. Let we me did. go back to that real fast. Uh, Mortal Kombat was such a huge, crazy deal because it went to the it went to the Supreme Court. Yeah, 
Because, but why did they go to Supreme Court to basically say that they were inciting violence? Yeah, it was that. Yeah, they were. The I remember the one of the old white men just like describing the fatalities and that, how was that Mitt Romney? <laughs> it could have been, you know, <laughs> just put any face on there. But just how, yeah, it was. You, you ripped the guy's head off with his spine still attached, and you know how horrible it was. But again. Look at all the look at all the violent movies. Yeah. You know, let's talk about Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, they, yeah. you know, like, come on. But those got attacked too, I guess, but not maybe in the same way, right? Like horror movies didn't go to the Supreme Court, right? I guess no, they didn't. And I and I guess I just I feel sensitive to the fact that video games always had to take video games are rap music always had to be. Yeah, you're right. The ones that were responsible for all the but violence. But you know, some people would argue rap music is because it's a race thing, and maybe. Well, but that's a whole other conversation. I mean, Eminem got so much crap for oh, the stuff true. he was yeah, saying. So yeah. I just feel like, for so whatever reason, those those maybe they're against certain conservative beliefs. But those video games and rap music were always pigeonholed as like the reasons why the youth of America was deteriorating. Yeah, yeah. you know. No, I, I agreed, and uh, you know we're not gonna do that justice. So please watch the movie. Can't say that enough. But. Um, to kind of quickly go back to uh, NBA Jam, it is very cool because you actually get to physically see the voice of NBA Jam. And I never, Boom, <laughs> yeah, I've never seen his see what he looked like. No, and but it was, uh, his name's Tim Kitzrow, and it was crazy. And go ahead. But he looks like the guy that would make that voice. <laughs> when you see him, you're like, oh yeah, he totally makes that voice. Yeah, to- totally, totally. And uh, I love how. Well, you know, I won't give it away, but there's some great stories that he tells, and I think you should watch it. But a nice little fun tidbit, though, is that they use this for when you're on fire. They use the same art that they used in uh, Smash, Smash TV. T- no, no, yeah, Smash TV. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Just recycle yeah. some shit and throw well, it in there. Because the guy didn't want to give. <laughs> he the didn't want to do fire, right? He's like, I don't. Want, he thought it would be too silly. <laughs> and he's like, no, I'm not going to give you the fire art. And so they just like, well, I'm going to take it from this other game. And we already have it. Yeah, exactly. So fuck off. So when you're playing NBA Jam, just know that that fire is from the Smash TV fire. Yeah, exactly, exactly. One other quick thing I want to mention because I experienced this so much with with when playing this game with my friends was how it gets so tight. You know, when it comes down to the wire, the score yeah. gets really tight. Oh, you please. Yes, talk you know? about that. And so, like, I would always, in my, until I watched this, I would always think, like, oh, it was just a coincidence. All of a sudden, he hits the shot, and it's tied, and now we're in overtime, and now we're in double overtime. Whoa, it's so crazy. But really, they programmed it to yes. be that way. When you discover that, did your mind just get blown? Yeah, especially when he said... You have a higher perc- – if you're taking a last-second shot yeah. to tie the game, your percentage of making the shot from half court is better than taking it from right at the rim. I know. So I'm going to use that the next time I play uh, my friend on NBA Jam and win because, you know, I have to. Dude, wasn't that – that was like – Yeah. <laughs> when he told me that too, when, he, when I saw that, I was like, wow, that is insane. But it made so much sense because I always wanted like – Wow! Like no way! It's so crazy! Now we're now we're look at look at oh, <laughs> my head's gonna explode. Yeah. But see, that's also the genius of Midway is that they created moments like that. They created that sense of I mean, like what other very few games that do that, and they created that sense of like, holy crap, we're at the wire. You and I, let's go. Also, like if you got too far ahead of the computer, yes, you would start missing shots. Yes, and if 
the computer got too far ahead of you, then they would start missing shots or you'd start making more shots. Right. Yeah. And, and, but the whole, t- but as kids, we would always think, what the fuck? You like, just man, don't know. Yeah. You just don't know. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. You know, and, uh, I hate I hate to like say this, but I would I kind of would believe NBA Jam is probably the best basketball game ever made. I love it. Yeah, I would think so. And I mean, the, NBA Two K is great. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But just the, the the play, the fun, like the excitement, the the bigger heads, uh, and as years have gone on, the different characters you can play and, yeah, and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, I I love I I want to play it right now actually. <laughs> NBA Jam. Oh man, you know that you can buy an arcade machine now for only like five hundred. Only five hundred. Only five hundred. eBay. eBay. There you go. Uh, yeah. So then that brings us up to where it's kind of going and changing. And now at this point in time of the nineties, the home market is becoming a big deal, and Midway is worried about the world of um, of games, and they're seeing how the home market is the the key. They do, but they got hurt a lot by the Mortal Kombat home uh, home console release because Mortal Kombat on Super Nintendo didn't have any of the violence really. Yeah. I mean the blood. The blood, right. right. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, it was like they even talk about in the movie. It's like this kind of sweat. In it's a, weird sweat. Yeah. Like he, he hit you so hard, sweat came off your face. Sweat. <laughs> yeah, I remember I had like one of the, the magazines that, you know, kind of like a Nintendo Power yeah, 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 kind of yeah. magazine. It, and, and it Wait, hold said, on. Can I stop real quick? Look, Mom, no blood. <laughs> Is that <laughs> That's how they explain. Were you, were you a gamer back in the day? I mean, I, when I was younger, yeah, I definitely had Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Nintendo 64. Really? The Nintendo with the CDs, the little mini discs. GameCube. GameCube. <laughs> that's right. So, I, I got to say this. I, yeah. That's something I didn't know about you. Well, there's probably a lot you don't know. <laughs> well, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I love, I mean, when I was a teenager, I definitely played a lot of these games. But you so. were a Nintendo guy. I was a Nintendo guy, yeah. Boo. Well, I mean, listen, they had, <laughs> I felt like they probably had better marketing. Oh, totally they did. You totally know? did. And but that, they were also family friendly, right? And that's, but you know, hold on. This show's not about that. We're going to get to a whole other thing. <laughs> but anyways, yes. And really, I, I don't want to talk too much about the home market because I think that's better said for the, for the documentary. Yeah. So we're just going to kind of jump ahead a little bit. So the next phase of everything is how do we kind of create a revolutionary arcade game? So what do you do that's popular? You take music. And you put it in your your arcade game. And originally, they were, there was a game, uh, for those who don't know, called Revolution X. Now, Mike, you've never heard of this game. Yeah, I didn't, it, it was uh, new to me when I watched it. I, maybe I'd seen it, but didn't, didn't recall. So Revolution X, for those who know, is a gun shooting game that you basically stop these bad guys from taking away music. And you work with legendary rock man Aerosmith. Yeah. <laughs> And instead of, like, your secondary weapon, instead of being, like, a missile, it's a CD. <laughs> yeah, CD gun. So before we even really get into, like, dive into that, the idea originally was called Generation X based upon, do you remember? The com- well. Was it not based it, upon the comic? Or I, It wasn't based upon a comic, but they, they got told by Marvel that they couldn't use the name Generation X because Marvel already owned the rights to that name because of the comic. Gotcha. That's what it was? Okay. Right. Okay. And then... And then they tried to go a different route with asking Public Enemy. Yes. And Public Enemy didn't want anything to do with it. Which is which is interesting. They they don't specify why because they don't know. I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I think. But wouldn't you think that kind of would make sense? Yeah, I don't. I think Public Enemy was at that time was just anti everything <laughs> except 
you know them and so i could see them just being like no we're, we're doing we don't want to be part of the system sure but they got legendary rock band aerosmith and at that time aerosmith i guess is still pretty legendary oh right? they were big yeah they're yeah, huge yeah. yeah but they didn't make any songs for it which i thought was kind of weird but that probably would have cost them an arm and a leg oh yeah but what i found awesome was that they pretty much did everything like in an hour right like the recording of the people yeah and i love joe perry when they tell Joe Perry to say these words, and yeah. one of them is rock and roll, and yeah. he goes, "I'm not saying." That. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. I'm not saying that. It, well, at least he, you know, he's got the clout where he can tell someone, "I'm not saying that." I don't care how much you're paying me. Yeah, I'm not gonna say. I'm that. fucking Joe Perry. Because <laughs> it's like, come on, none of yeah. them are gonna say that. <laughs> That's too cheesy. That's way too cheesy. Well, and then they're like trying to get him to say words in a certain type of way, and he says them, and, and you could tell the guy that's recording him goes, "Okay, that that's good." And you could tell it, it wasn't good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was exactly. not good. Because Joe Perry was like, I, he, uh, Joe Perry, realistically, probably didn't want to do it. No. Steven Tyler was probably like, wow, what are you doing this? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Look at my scarf. <laughs> wow. Oh, that was more like uh, David Lee Roth than, <laughs> than, than uh, Tyler. But anyways. <laughs> I mean, I think it would have been cool, though, if they would have made this game during when Armageddon came out. That would have been yeah. way better. Because think about that. Aerosmith with you fighting the asteroids. Yeah. Damn. Don't want to close my eyes. And then you could have a Bruce Willis. You could be uh, you could be Bruce Willis in the game. Oh, but it's two players. So you could be Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck? Yeah. Wow. Right? <laughs> wow. Midway, holler at us. We got you. Let's bring it back. <laughs> Let's bring it back. Revolution, Revolution X2. Revolution. Armageddon X. <laughs> Armageddon X. No, I I don't know. I it was it was interesting to see it just because of what it was. But the the sad part was it failed miserably. <laughs> yeah. But I think too. I don't know. At at that time in the nineties, I don't think Aerosmith was that big though. That was like your dad's rock. I think at that time. Oh yeah. I mean, because Aerosmith was big in the seventies, eighties, and to me, they didn't come back until Armageddon came out. Mm. Would you agree with that or not? I I guess I don't know. I wasn't really listening to that kind of music. I just. I just always assumed they were around. But Do you like Aerosmith? I like some of their songs, sure. Name but, one song you like. One. Um, <laughs> the one from Armageddon? <laughs> the one from Armageddon. Uh, no, that's not true. I can't think of any right my now. My favorite Armageddon, or my favorite uh, uh, Aerosmith song is uh, Sweet Emotions. Yeah, that's a great one. Dude, well, from what movie? Oh, uh, movie? It's in a movie? It's in a ton of movies, but the, I discovered it from a specific movie, and that movie is uh, Days to Confuse. With, oh, with right. who? With yeah, who? Very good. Joined up. Well, no. Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, and? And Bruce Willis. Ben Affleck. Whoa. Wait, uh, but wait, who? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm actually, while you're talking, trying to think of the name <laughs> of my Aerosmith song. Okay, sorry, sorry. So, um, <laughs> sing for the moment. What is that one? I don't know. <laughs> Dream on. Dream, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course. That's a great one, too. Yeah. I, you know. Probably time to stop drinking. <laughs> time to stop drinking. Or drink more. <laughs> and it'll come back. All right. <laughs> but yeah, Revolution X was a little fun little little thing in there. I think that you guys will enjoy it. Um, I think, I don't know. It, it's a very weird game, though. And I think, you, again, watch the movie because we can't do it justice. It's just a very weird idea for a game. And it's cool to see those guys from the band, Steven Tyler, Joe Perry, all those guys, like, in the little game studio. <laughs> posing for the picture <laughs> yeah, yeah. and like in the recording booth it's just cool to see that so the drummer of aerosmith i thought was cool too because with the whole thing with the drums he mm. was like he and he knew exactly where they were 
without having a drum set yeah. it, that was awesome because it's like air drumming yeah but it was perfect yeah. it was like yeah. and he also looked like he hated it he hated it every little guy hated it except one person steven tyler, tyler. Yeah. Well, he loves life you yeah know? steve tyler was like yeah i love life he loves life he does he does can't be mad at that you cannot be mad at that and yeah so with the the, the progression what comes next right and what comes next is a movie deal and what is that movie deal legendary Mortal Kombat. Well, I don't know if I say legendary, but it's... yeah, well, Bruce Willis wasn't in that movie, so that's probably why. <laughs> yeah, that's who would Bruce Willis play in that movie? Johnny Cage? Uh, Goro. Actually, no, he would play uh Kano. He could play Kano. Yeah. yeah, he had to make an accent, but Kano. Yeah, no, that, I remember that movie being so excited. The music that that Mortal Kombat song. Mortal Kombat. The the the. The preview, and they even show the pre- clips of the preview in the movie, and the the guy, the director of the movie, and uh, his response to the preview was, "It was so exciting to see the preview for that movie in a movie theater." Sure, Not- you know, because back then there wasn't all these like you didn't know it was coming out until you're in the movie theater, yes. seeing the previews, and then boom, that's how you know. Yeah. It's because you're in the movie theater. Right, right, right. And it was so exciting. So the director of that movie, for people who don't know, is Paul W.S. Anderson. And Paul W.S. Anderson directed major movies like uh, Event Horizon, Resident, the entire Resident Evil franchise. Event Horizon was great. Dude. One of the scariest well, movies I saw. Are you being serious? When I saw it in a theater. Yeah. Yes, I left that going. That is one of the scariest movies I've ever Event seen. Event Horizon is amazing. Yeah. Uh, one day we'll talk about that on the show because Event Horizon is, is amazing. Yeah. But they did the he did the entire Resident Evil franchise. He did Pompeii. Did you ever watch that? No, I heard of it. It was awful. Yeah. Uh, but he's also but it's funny because he did a lot of video game movies and he's actually about to release a new video game movie, a current video game franchise. You probably don't know. It's called Monster Hunter. No. So Monster Hunter is a huge deal, and he's making that movie now. Uh, with the girl from Resident Evil. <laughs> oh, Mila yes. Jokovic. Yeah, Jolovich. Jolovich, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really, I honestly, I don't, there's not much for really to talk about that. I think really, like, you should just watch that part. But, uh, yeah. But the memories of the movie are there for all of us. And Paul W. Sanderson was a filmmaker from London, or not London. It was London, no. Uh, he, he was somewhere else first and then went to London and eventually made his way to L.A. where, you know, he could actually make movies that people would. See. Right, yeah. right, right. And so, yeah, it, 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 it's a little, little fun little storyline, so please check that out. Um, and then really what comes next is kind of what to what your point, uh, Mike, is what comes after all of this? What comes after this era? Now we're like talking late 90s. and late 90s, 3D graphics are a thing. You know what I mean? 3D textures, polygons, all that is becoming a reality, right? Well, the gentlemen don't want to work on Mortal Kombat, so what do they do? This team out of nowhere from the same company makes a game called War Gods. War Gods. Now, that sounds pretty cool. It looked kind of cool. And I remember playing that as a kid. There's a, so, where I grew up... I was where did you grow up? I'm not going to say. Mm. Uh, but I grew up in a small town in California. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I was in a bowling league. You were in a bowling league. I was in a bowling league. Look at you. Yeah, look at me. What and was your percentage? God, I don't even remember. It's probably something like fucking one. <laughs> one percent. What's the, what's the worst you can have? Yeah, that's me. Okay. Uh, because I was too busy playing War Gods. Obviously. Right. Uh, and I thought War Gods was cool, but I thought War Gods was cool because it was a 3D Mortal Kombat. Yeah. And they talk about that, how basically it was just a ripoff. And when you think about it, that's probably the worst thing that could happen to them because basically it's a clone of their own property. So yeah. that makes it kind of feel lazy, I would think. Right? What do you think? 
Yeah, but I also think if if one thing is becoming uh, stagnant to some, like you you can create your own competition, so it's not like you're losing the money if people play War Gods instead of Mortal Kombat. So, you know, it's a little tricky. But I understand that the people who were who were developing Mortal Kombat and working on it felt like you know those guys, but the other guys that did the War yeah, Gods yeah, are yeah, like, yeah. hey, you just basically took what we're doing and. Added a layer of three three D movement to sure. it. Sure. And that was before Mortal Kombat did it. Mortal Kombat didn't do that yet. Right. So it was like, oh And you, then yeah. and then so when Mortal Kombat does do it, then it looks like Mortal Kombat is copying war copying gods. War gods. Right, right. But it's from the same family, basically, you know. Yeah. But again, that goes back to the pay scale idea. It's like how you get paid, right? It's right. like, well, you get paid very well because of whatever reason, right? Like, you know, your team is doing this and you put it out there and again, War Gods I think had some good ideas, but I don't know. I think when you when you hijack your own title, it's kind of rough. Yeah. So when you go into the next the next format of things, uh, three again, three D is becoming the big new world, right? So they talk about Cruising USA. Now, did you ever <laughs> play Cruising USA? Oh yeah. That was a fun game. I mean, that's another one that's still around in in, in arcade machines. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, Cruising Arcade, uh, Cruising USA is this very unrealistic racing game where you can drive around at crazy fast speeds and. You double click your foot pedal and you do like a turbo boost and like you can flip over things, break everything. Like, yeah, it was just a fun game. But now I got kind of confused on this. Now, tell me if I missed something. They were kind of talking about how Nintendo was claiming that that was their technology. Yeah. Was I understanding that right? I don't know. That was kind of confusing to me. Yeah, there it was. I was also confused. There was the there was a part where it was demoed at a CES convention or C, uh, Consumer Electronics. Yeah. And there was this uh, Nintendo's 64 something tech. What was there? It was like a different. It was Ultra 64 because that's the name of the console was called. Um... Well, it, it was confusing because, it, it, yeah, it, I couldn't tell if Nintendo had inserted themselves in the game. Yes. Or they were yeah. going through Nintendo. Yeah, I didn't Nintendo... understand that either. Anyways, yeah. So, and, and really, again, this is a chapter I think you should watch because it's, it's really hard for us to describe it. But it was more about what is the... What did what did the Nintendo do for this game? Basically, I don't know. But Cruising USA is a fun game. If you haven't played it, you should because it's amazing. Well, it was interesting because the guys didn't they actually didn't like it. Yeah, they didn't like it. Yeah, the guys that made it didn't even like it. They thought it was silly or just like a kind of. What I found interesting too is that they had a very big female audience, and I didn't realize that. And I was like, oh, I guess that. Not that it makes sense, I guess, but at that time, I guess they could see why that would bring more women on board right or no i guess i mean it just happened to be that way but, sure um you seem too happy about it i mean hey the money is coming in the money don't right you know. don't don't hate on the money you get money you get paid but they also talked about how extremely difficult it was to play considering yes to to now times and, yeah and i never thought about that but i guess it it kind of was and i always thought it was just because i sucked but i guess it was <laughs> right it was hard um but they were talking to you how it was a financial success, but it was critically panned by everybody. Right. Yeah. Which I guess I could see because it really isn't like it isn't a groundbreaking racing game. It's just a racing game that it's fun. It's fun. It's fun. There's all these cool different cities and sure. the U.S. and yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, whatever. But like, I guess it's their, you know, their they went pop on that song, right? Like that was their radio. Yeah. Song, oh yeah. Radio that's a, that's a, that's know? a good and way so, to put it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, like sure. Do we sell out a little bit on that game? But sure. But like. We're in this business to make money, and we made some money. Can sure. you be mad? Totally, totally. And and it kind of comes to an end shortly here. And 
you know, after Ed Boon and uh, John Tobias kind of being like done with making Mortal Kombat for a while, they made a game called The Grid. Now, The Grid, yeah. I never played, but I saw it here and there at different conventions and different arcades, and I always thought that was so interesting. Like, it was a, you needed six of these arcade, or, you know, six, right? You needed six total, and it was three versus three. And what I never thought about, and they talk about it, is that it was like the com- first competitive, because, you know, esports, right? Mm-hmm. You know, competitive gaming is a big deal now. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it, that was like one of the first competitive gaming, you know, things, right? Mm-hmm. And we never seen that at the time. And what I really liked about it was how they talked about how that was like Ed Boon. You could tell that was Ed Boon's like passion. Like he got to make something he wanted to make. Yeah. And I think as an artist, and you know this, that feeling of like being drained of doing something and doing something you like, even though it doesn't sell well. I mean, what is that? What is that like? You think? Or that you know of? Yeah, I think you know. Finally, you're like, I, I'm to. A, I think it's more of like I'm to a point in my career where I can do what I want to do, and if it doesn't sell, like the other things sold, it's not going to hurt me. But it's, I'm in this business not so much to make money, but also because I love it. And so, even if it doesn't break in the sales, I'm going to be okay, and I got to do the thing that I wanted to do. Totally, and if you think about it, if if the grid would have came out maybe now, it maybe would have been different, right? Maybe it would have been a, a huge esports title or competitive gaming thing, you know? Like I'm into very much. I'm, I love competitive gaming. I love uh, Overwatch. That's a big one of my favorite games of all time. I play it almost every day. So like the grid is very much like the the foundation of that kind of world. But you know, all good things must come to an end. That's right. And um, unfortunately. The internet kind of killed the arcade, killed Coinop. But there was one fact that I never thought about until they said it on that documentary, and that was the internet killed the social aspect of the arcade, arcade, arcades. I never thought about that, but that was true. Like it, you couldn't, you, you know, when you played NBA Jam, you could smack talk, you could have whatever, like you know, you could be competitive and stuff like that, or even Mortal Kombat. That 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 social aspect, the interaction, it was gone. You mean like the internet and, and home gaming? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it 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 did. I mean, you play it with the, your the people either they're at your house or you don't even know who you're playing. But right. 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 Yeah. And I and it's interesting that as those things progress during this time, the 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 arcades just disappeared. They're gone. You know, and it's funny because they're coming back now. I mean, I guess they were until COVID came. But they were coming back now because of, you know, like the barcades, right? Barcades, are, I think, were a big part of kind of reinventing the arcade, right? Right. You know, Coin-Op, uh, where I'm from, uh, Mini Boss, um, Level Up, you know, you have all these great options. And it's just like, that is what's kind of bringing it back, which is great. It's, it's, it's great. But the problem is, can you keep developing for it? And I don't know if you can. But yeah, so unfortunately, in the year 2009, um, the Midway, oh, sorry, 2001, Midway closes their coin-op division. Yeah. Which was kind of sad when you read yeah. that, right? It was kind of sad to, to read it, to hear that, and to understand that, and to know that these these, these ragtag groups of guys kind of all have to call quits, you know? Yeah, well, I think then they kept doing, they went to the, the home gaming stuff. Yeah, they did, that, they did that till 2009, and you could tell that it wasn't the same. And, no. And I don't know, what do you think made that different? Do you think it made it different because it was not money driven or what, what makes that different? Like what makes it the passion lost? I think, I don't know if it was that other than just, I think I saw something about they had to file 
bankruptcy, right? Wasn't that they the did, thing? Yeah. So I, I think I think more than anything, it was just about the fact that they were now in competition with so much with with sure. home gaming systems that you know their t- their time maybe came and went, and there and there were now with these new other things, RPG games and 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 whatnot. So sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it was sad though. It was like watching the again. I compare it to like a rock band. It was like watching the rock band start, then they're huge, and then now they're just like yeah. this guy's doing this, this guy's selling meatloaf, and this guy's you know in rehab, and that guy's dead. <laughs> you know, it's like the end of the rock band, dude. Totally, and it was it was fascinating because you just saw this journey of these these individuals that just all had a dream of, hey, we're gonna make games that we want to play. Fuck what you feel. Fuck your idea. Fuck your feelings. We're just gonna make games. Yeah. And if you want to play it, awesome. And if you don't, you don't. And I think that's lost in a lot of art forms. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, you know. And I think. Uh, and I don't want to sound like you know, full of myself. <laughs> well, never. But I would like Uncle Dad to kind of be that way one day. You know that idea of like we don't care. Not that we don't care, but we are in it for, for the growth. Does that make sense? I think yeah, for sure. I think that's part of I think that's part of what draws us together, certain artists together. Sure, you know, um, and because you love to do what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, we all hope that we can get to a point where we could be midway. We could be some form of midway. I mean, yeah. I'll take a thousand dollars a week <laughs> off of quarters. <laughs> yeah, off of quarters, exactly. Yeah. I could park anywhere I want. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stop getting tickets every Ex- time. Exactly. It was such a great fun documentary yeah even if you're not even into video games i think you should just watch it because it's one of those things that it's just educational like it's great to learn about a new not a new but learn about an existing media format and what these people did i mean these are these are people who had a dream you know yeah. and they got to do great things and honestly i think this whole midway story could be like a real like wolf on wall street type kind of movie sure i mean i definitely think they could make it interesting enough to do because and it's also just like yeah it's the story of these guys starting from the ground up then they get super successful and then there's the then there's the there's the climb and then there's the fall right and and what's crazy is when you think about it they technically were birthed through a fall they had the first time remember because the game market crashes yeah and then they come from that game crash yeah right that's right yeah so it's like you know the rise and fall of it. and what's even more funny when you think about it because of barcades and again COVID kind of ruined it i think Barcades are kind of revitalizing that and revitalizing the world of arcade machines where they Midway could exist again and make a Mortal Kombat exclusive arcade machine or whatever, right? You could. You know. Yeah, and I also, you know, I think nostalgia is really sells Very really strong. well yeah. these days in and especially, you know, I think the older you get, uh the more you want to kind of hold on to the past. And so sure. um it's fun and there's nothing wrong with it. It's great. Like, I love, I've been to those coin ops and whatnot and playing NBA Jam. I have a fucking blast. Do you still have a blast playing it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's such a, and then it just makes you think, like, man, when I played my boys back in the day or yeah. whatever, right? Just oh, yeah. Like, such a fun time, I know. As we wrap up this show, I just want to say, like, it was such a great time talking to you about it. And really, this moment couldn't happen without Insert Coin. So, again, thank you, Insert Coin, for giving us the opportunity to talk about it, giving us uh, basically the access to watch it. That's right. Um, you know, this is our first time kind of doing something like this, and we have some more of this coming out very soon. And I don't know. It's it's a uh, it's nice to see that you know, like Midway, we're growing. We're growing. And who knows? Maybe one day Uncle Dad will be like a Midway, and whatnot. But before we completely cut it, I do have to throw something out there, Mike. It's the holiday season. 
Yeah. And I know there may be a little ad in it, but I'm going to bring it up again. Mike, you're an artist. Yes. Even though I don't pay you to be here. That's right. <laughs> we need to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, I cannot stress this enough. If you like any sort of art, period, go see my man, Mike. Mike, you can see his website at MikeHamptonArt.com. MikeHamptonArt.com carries a bunch of different, I don't know, how would you describe it? You could sell yourself Everything for all your nostalgic needs is what we were just talking about. And uh, I've got prints, stickers, shirts, hats, patches, lots of one wonderful, fun uh, art gifts for the holidays, comics. Uh, I've got it all. And the best part is, you can save some money with our code for your website. That's right. During the month of December, throw in the code Uncle Dad Talks 10 save a 10% on your order. That is amazing. And uh, guys, I can't appreciate it enough if you guys go check his stuff out. Like, we need, right now, we need to take care of each other. I always say at the end of the episode, love each other, respect each other. This is what we need to do. We need to love each other and respect each other. So please respect Mike's art. Love his art. Buy something that you could, you would like. And not just him. Uncle Dad, too. You know, we got comics. Superhood 1 just came out. Shout out to H. Scott. We still have a few books left of Mike's. Uh, we actually literally only have three left now of how to do comics. Let's go. So please buy them. Uh, they're, you can get them for 20% off so the entire rest of the week. Or actually, no, fuck it. The entire month of... The entire month of December, we're going to have it for 20% off. All our comic books, all that good stuff like that. So please come down or come to our website, uncledadcomics.com. Go to mycaptainart.com. We appreciate it very, very much. And before we go, as always, we have to pay the bills. So, Mike, do you like comic books? I love comic books. Who doesn't love comic books? Do you love comic books? Yes. Awesome. Yes, even the kids love comic books. Even the kids love comic books. Yes. So with that being said, go to multiversecomicbox.com and you can actually save 10% off with our promo code UncleDad10. UncleDad10. That saves you 10% off your first month subscription. The best part is you get a monthly box of tailored to your budget of comic books. It could be anything CGC comic books. CGC is great at comic books. You can get a bunch of great stuff, so please go check them out. And yeah, that's multiversecomicbox.com. So without further ado, Mike, I would like you to, to end the show with some beautiful words. Oh, you did that to me? <laughs> yes, sir. Um, actually, I have a special guest to end the show with a few beautiful oh. words. <laughs> let's let's get a few, just a couple of beautiful words. What do you want to say to the... Wh- who are you and what do you want to say to the people out there? Um, I'm Edie, and this show is... This podcast thing is a really cool thing. Yeah. That was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Edie. Uncle Dad, uh, it's been a great show. And uh, insert coin, thank you very much. And we'll see you next time. We will see you next week. Remember, everybody, love each other, respect each other. And as always, yeah, we'll see you next week. Bye.